Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello guys, a warm welcome to the third episode today of Shot in the Dark. Hoping that my voice holds out. I've had a little bit of a cold the last couple of days, but guys, if you did not know this trick, if you can get your cold at the beginning, I go to the shops, I go and get myself a normal saline solution nasal spray, and I add about a mil of betadine in there. Guys, unflipping believable. Just spray that thing up your nose. I honestly think it would have been so much worse. Um, so I've actually recovered pretty quickly. So there you go. Betadine in saline solution. Amazing. All right. Shot in the dark part three. Uh, I want to say to everyone, first and foremost, thanks for listening. And you are not alone. I have had so many people and I've only been, what, this is the third episode. So this has been going for what, like a week and a bit. So many people in my travels just siding up to me and going, oh my gosh, thank you for speaking about this. I agree with you. Or I've had messages, uh, both texts and uh, through social media. There are just so many of us that have a gut feeling that something's not quite right. So I want to make today a little bit more easy to follow. Uh, The first two episodes were pretty jam-packed with information, especially last, uh, last, or two days ago, Wednesday. That was pretty full on. Uh, So I just want to say before we get going for the rest of it, don't take my word for any of this, okay? Don't just be like, oh yeah, Renee said, please use what I've said to spark your thinking to then go and do your own research. All right. I think that's really important um, because I'm obviously, I've got a full-time job guys, and I'm also running a church as well. And um, so I'm doing a lot of this on the fly. I'm actually a little bit tired at the moment, I must say, um, because I've been immersed in this subject and I've been reading about it for so long. So anyway, I just want to say, I'm not the arbiter of truth here, okay? I want you to go and do your own research, but I have been presenting as best as I can what I've been finding. So we're going to look today at 10 thoughts on vaccine safety. Just saying that word's probably going to get this podcast flagged. But anyway, uh, let's have a quick look what we've covered so far. We've been following the facts about infectious diseases that they were already low risk before any of the vaccinations were introduced. And that was announced in 1956. And that was because of improved lifestyle. That's the reason the infectious diseases became low risk. But we've been made to believe it's the vaccines. Not true. Also, the policies have been constantly increasing the amount of doses. So we started with 13 in 1960s. We're up to 52 before the age of 14. And the third thing we found out was the policies are set by global bodies whose aim is to uh, eliminate these low risk diseases. But of course, like we talked about 
couple of days ago. They've got a lot of invested interest in doing so. This is a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar industry. Now, anything that you guys hear me say is based on data that is available to anyone if you know where to look and if you dig deep enough. So what we're going to explore are the 10 thoughts around the safety because we are told by experts, and I say experts in inverted commas, that any adverse reactions to a vaccine is extremely rare and very mild, you know, usually just a little rise in temperature or a rash. And anyone, by the way, who does not vaccinate their children, they're berated often by their families and certainly the medical profession. I've got three good friends, all of whom have told me what it's been like for them. One gets constant calls from their family telling her to go vaccinate your kids for goodness sakes. Another one has been shouted at by the emergency medical staff at a hospital. And another one was telling me how they receive monthly, yes, monthly letters reminding her of all the vaccines that her child must immediately catch up on, as well as, by the way, threats that her payment will be reduced and that her child will not be able to go to kindy or school. As uh, And this person also gets phone calls, by the way, from blocked numbers. I, a couple of years ago, received a letter from Centrelink saying that my parenting payment would be stopped if I didn't get Ashton to get the HPV vaccine. And I'm like, I don't give a rip. Take my parenting payments. Not very much anyway, but take it. He's not getting it. And funny enough, I never heard another thing. I never heard another thing. Wonder what that might tell you. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. So if the medical industry is so convinced that the 52 doses of vaccines are necessary for our children's health and safety and uh, their survival, what data are they using to make these directives? What data are they using to show us that these vaccines are 100%, you know, do not cause any of these chronic childhood illnesses that we've seen a massive rise in? Uh, and we, I've listed them in episode one, things such as asthma, autoimmune diseases, anaphylaxis, neurological conditions, multiple sclerosis, by the way, is another one, diabetes, arthritis, ADHD, and the list goes on. So I'm going to throw a bunch of thoughts at you when it comes to safety. And these are all things that you and I can consider. And then at the end, I'm going to give you four questions. Just look, there could be more, but you know, four questions that, you know, if you right now have a little one and you are struggling with the thought of what to do, um, four things that you can ask your doctor that, you know, you can say, Hey, I want answers on these before I continue. So that will be at the end. But number one, my first thought on safety from all of my research is genetic variability is not considered in the risk assessment of vaccinations, right? Have you noticed, guys, it's a one-size-fits-all, no matter your child's family medical history, no matter what ethnic group that you come from, every single person is on exactly the same schedule. I don't know any other drugs where that is the case, right? Like you go to the doctor and you get a script for something it depends on your age and it depends on um, sometimes on your weight or it, like it can depend on all sorts of things. But the script has to be specifically for you, for your issue. And yet with vaccinations, it is certainly a one size fits all, no matter what your history is. But Australia, we are a multicultural society. 
And yet we've got this universal vaccination approach to a genetically diverse population. That's thought number one. Thought number two, natural infection in childhood can actually provide greater protection than a vaccine. Let me say it again. Natural infection in childhood, like I had with chickenpox, actually provides better protection than a vaccine. So if the infectious disease is so low risk, isn't it better for our bodies to be exposed to that? Because the immunity we get from that is actually much stronger, lasts longer, and doesn't require a medical intervention to get it. Vaccines produce a much shorter term immunity and they need several booster shots. We all do throughout our life, or we're told that we are. So Georgia recently, and this is another story to be had, uh, but um, her university was requiring all of these vaccinations that she had not long ago at ch- in childhood. I'm like, what for? What, like a second chickenpox? I was like, I didn't, I didn't even think she had the first one on her schedule. Now they're wanting a second. And it, I, her and I looked at this list like, what the heck? Why? Um, so natural immunity is not always lifelong, but it can be lifelong, um, but it certainly is long-term. And the other thing is about natural infection is even if you do get reinfected, the statistics show that you will get that at a much reduced rate because you've had that before if you were to get reinfected again. So it can reduce severity of reinfection later in life. So that's my second thought. My third thought, and not all of these, or some of these are short, by the way, but some I'm going to park on. Number three, my concern is that we're putting a huge burden on our children's immune system, which, by the way, is just developing far more than what we're expecting for an adult's immune system. I mean, an adult's immune system would struggle but we're doing this to children, right? Like we don't have 52 doses in adulthood. It's zero to 14. It is when our children are developing. That is a huge burden on our children's immune system. To me, I've just got this gut feeling on that one that that's a lot to put on a developing brand new immune system. Doesn't make sense to me. Number four, we all know that all medications have side effects. I mean, oh, here's one. I didn't even have this written in my notes, but think about this one. They're thinking they're going to regulate Panadol. You guys, did you know that? I don't know if that's in every other state, but here in Queensland, they're going to be, um, uh, that even in a supermarket, you can only buy a certain number of boxes of Panadol. So all medications we know have side effects. So why are vaccines presented as the exception? These magical things that don't have any side effects except maybe a little rash and a little bit of a, a, um, an, a, a temperature. No other medications have such little side effects. In fact, there actually are serious risks listed on, and I want to talk to you guys about this because I want you go to go and look it up for yourself, but they're listed on the what's called the PI, the prescribed information for each vaccine that parents are not showing that. I'm talking about the leaflet in the box. You know, like when you get antibiotics or you get a medication and there's a leaflet in the box telling you how to use it and what's in it and all of the terrible things that can happen if you take it. We're not showing that. 
So I actually went to the Australian Immunization Handbook, and which is online, and I looked up different infectious diseases uh, and, and the vaccinations, and it was so obvious how they talked up the severity of the disease and talked down any risk from the vaccine. So I'll talk to you a bit more about that PI, that leaflet, in just a moment. But um, an example I noticed on the website was when they were talking about the measles and obviously saying how wonderful the measles vaccine was. And this is literally from the website, and I quote, measles is often a severe disease. Really? Often. That's not a very medical word to use, is it? Often. What does that mean? Like, we're talking an Australian government website telling you that you've got to get vaccinated because measles is often a severe disease. How often is often exactly? And yet when it talks on the website about the side effects of the vaccine, it's, it uses the words very rare. Interesting, isn't it? Number five, evidence strongly suggests that there is a chronic underreporting of vaccine-induced morbidity, disability, and mortality. So here, uh, we, if we're going to make a report, it's on the VAERS, V-A-E-R-S website. And there's been a lot of evidence that has suggested that only 10% of adverse reactions are reported. And so there's obviously huge evidence that there's a lot that is not reported. Now, in April of 1991, the WHO themselves made a statement recognizing this. So the reason for this is, of course, reporting is voluntary and it's not mandated. I mean, there's a lot of paperwork involved. It's also really hard to prove sometimes if the reaction is seen months or years later, right? Because the automatic thing that you'll be told is, oh, they're not related. All right. Number six. And I want to park here on this one a little bit. Number six, my sixth bit of research around safety is what exactly are the adjuvants in the vaccines and what do we know about them? So every vaccine other than the C19, that's a whole other conversation, but traditional vaccines have three or four things in them. They've got the antigen, the adjuvants, and the preservatives they're the three things. So the antigen, of course, is the weakened or the trace amount of the virus, right? Which trains our body to elicit an immune response. But then every vaccine also has adjuvants. Now, these are added substances to help in, enhance the, the uh, vaccine. These are the vaccine, make the vaccine uptake more effective. And then, of course, we have preservatives, right? Which are the stabilizers to stop it going off. So what I want to concentrate on here for a second is what we are and are not told about the adju adjuvants and preservatives. Now, government websites claim that vaccines may contain, may, no, 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 they do. But anyway, they've used the word may contain a small amount of adjuvants to improve the immune response and of course, to preserve the vaccine. Now, again, using the word small to try and minimize it to imply that, well, there's no way that they could cause significant harm. And yet, yet there's some hypocrisy here 
because the Australian government themselves state in their risk assessment for environmental health hazards, right, that the health effects of low doses of many toxic substances have not yet been established. So bit of hypocrisy in those two statements. It's actually hard to find what is actually in each vaccine. You have to really hunt high and low for it. They don't give this information to parents when we bring our children for vaccination. I was certainly never made aware. I do remember, I think I signed, but it was more like, I don't remember any small print. I don't remember being told anything other than give them Panadol. They might be a bit sore. They might, you know, have a bit of a temperature. Um, But I don't remember ever being given a list of ingredients or serious side effects. These are only found if you search yourself. So I'm going to help you guys out today. You're welcome. Let me read to you a few of the components, uh, meaning the adjuvants and preservatives that are found in the vaccines that are on our national schedule. Here's just a few of them. Albumum, aluminium hydroxide, aluminium phosphate, borax, egg protein, formaldehyde, gelatin, polysorbate, and this one I can't say, glutaraldehyde. All right, what do we know about these? Now, I haven't gone into each one of them and there are some more, but I just wanted to tell you a couple things that we do know. Aluminium, toxic to brain and kidneys. And remember what the government said before, that Uh, health effects of low doses of many toxic substances have not yet been established. So aluminium, toxic to the brain and kidneys, formaldehyde, classified as a human carcinogen, toxic to nerves, liver, and kidney. That one again, glutaraldehyde, a disinfectant that can cause asthma, respiratory problems, and allergies. And the polysorbate, That facilitates the aluminium crossing the blood-brain barrier. Now, it's interesting to note, these adjuvants, guys, in our baby systems are accumulative. They don't just like, you know, wash out of their bodies. They build up in their system every time they have a new one. Now, we're told that these side effects are minor, such as redness, soreness at the site, swelling, and that they will last a short time, and that serious reactions are very rare. And we're told that it's important to remember that vaccines are many times safer than the disease that they prevent. But what we're not told um, are the serious side effects, which are actually listed in the PI inserts. We're not warned about the possibility of neurological disorders, autoimmune diseases, convulsions, seizures, allergies, all of which are listed in the PI. Um, So they're listed on the PI, but not on the government websites. We're not told that some people have adverse reactions to the adjuvants or the antigens. Let me give you a really practical example. I spoke probably about a year ago on this podcast about the HPV vaccine. Got a little bit of a kickback actually from somebody who said that they were a doctor on my comments of which I was like, I don't care. Like it's up to each individual to do their, um, their research. Well, it turns out I kind of like was right. Um, 
I wouldn't sign my kids up for HPV. That's probably one of the first ones where I really started to go, hang on a second. It was the first one that I'd said no to. Now, it turns out that in 2014, there was a public hearing into the adverse events. And this happened in France because there were a lot of adverse events, but this is kept quiet. It was revealed that it was the aluminium that was responsible for the vaccine-induced illnesses experienced post-vaccination, that what these young people were suffering from was um, aluminium toxicity. And apparently the HPV vaccine contains three times as much aluminium and had therefore, which makes sense, it actually had three times as many adverse events as other vaccinations. Well, you've got to remember too that that same adjuvant is uh, in most of our childhood vaccines. All right, so that's number six. Thought number seven, I'll go through them again at the end, but thought number seven, what are then the long-term clinical trials that have been done to back the safety claims? So if they're telling us that these vaccines are safe, that the adverse reactions are only mild, that they don't have any you know, bad side effects. Well, where is this data coming from? What evidence do they have to back these claims? I think you might be a little bit shocked. There are actually no properly controlled long-term trials of the short or long, mostly the long-term health effects of vaccines. Let me say it again. There are no properly controlled long-term trials of the health effects of vaccines. And there are no properly controlled trials for the combined schedule of the 52 doses given as 16 vaccines that are on our national schedule right now. No data has been collected to show that that combination is safe. Now, there are studies discounting the causal link between vaccines and health issues, But again, they're not using empirical evidence from properly designed, independent studies. And there's also no data that looks at the effects of vaccines with other body systems that hasn't been properly studied. Let me read from um, a really great resource, guys, if you want to hear more. Western A. Price is a really good website to look at different bits and pieces. They've got all their references on there. Let me just read what they wrote because I think this is well said. It is a little known fact, they said, that not a single study exists to prove that vaccines are safe over the long term. And then I quote from um, a specialist here, the president of the National Vaccine Information Center. She says, it would be such an easy study to organize. Use three groups, groups of children, the first group fully vaccinated, the second group partially vaccinated, and the third group, no vaccinations. Then follow them up for 10 years and we would be able to see the kinds of problems that are manifesting from these vaccines. However, Evidence of vaccine harm is not really a secret. Hundreds of published medical studies have documented both vaccine failure and vaccine harm, even though most pediatricians continue to vaccinate and most parents remain completely unaware of these studies. That's what uh, she said. 
So we're not given the accurate statistics of the chances of any of these things happening because those statistics don't exist. They can't claim adverse events are rare because they don't actually know. The clinical trials for the vaccines that our children are given are actually funded by the vaccine manufacturers and they've never compared vaccinated and unvaccinated children. So there's a lot of conflict of interest here. And then, of course, like I said before, our surveillance system depends on voluntary reporting. And the other thing to note is sometimes they will say, oh, no, we have a study. We had two groups of people, one that were vaccinated, one that received a placebo. Now, that that second group, that's different from a completely unvaccinated group. To me, the studies, well, not just to me, it makes sense that studies should be between vaccinated and pure, like completely unvaccinated. Well, what they do is they do them between vaccinated and people that receive a placebo. Now, all sorts of different things can be in those placebos. Some of them are just saline, but others of them are saline with adjuvants, Um one study I saw, they were given to the placebo placebo group was still given antigens as well. So it's not a properly conducted um, uh, trial with accurate information unless they're actually comparing vax versus unvax over a long period of time. So an example of this would be in Western Australia in 2008, I think it was, the influenza vaccine was recommended for children under five without being tested for long-term safety. So independent trials are what are required, not trials designed or sponsored by the companies who profit. Now, there is plenty of credible medical evidence for a causal link between vaccines and adverse events, but what happens is these are either not acknowledged or they're discredited. And of course, if they're discredited, then those um, are not given funding. And of course, all of these research trials take a lot of money. And so all of the resource goes where the funding is. But of course, the funding is from industry themselves. So when things like this are not properly investigated, this has actually got a proper term. It's called undone science. So undone science is when research is not done, which is what we're talking about here. Uh, Areas that are left unfounded, incomplete or ignored, even though, by the way, there are many scientists who consider that they're worthy of more research. So policies are being made where there are big gaps in the knowledge underpinning these policies. And of course, if policies are influenced by industry sponsors, doesn't that mean that the policies are going to serve industry and not the public? So really, the government do have a duty of care uh, that they're breaching here. They're implementing policies based on lack of evidence and there's just a massive lack of accountability. Medical literature does connect um, vaccinations with a rise in a lot of childhood illnesses, but that's not being acknowledged, let alone actually properly investigated. And if it was investigated properly and independently and found not to be the case, then amazing. That would make us all feel better, right? Number eight, I was not aware of this one until recently. And also since I've got Georgia in this, uh, in this university system, I can see this happening, but doctor's education is also being funded by industry via our universities. I was kind of 
I shouldn't have been shocked at this one. You know how you you hear about, you know, medical research being done in universities and you think, oh my gosh, our universities are so amazing. They're developing all these amazing people, which is true. And they are doing a great job, but it is again, industry uh, sponsored. So the universities rely on government grants. So another example, the University of Queensland was just given $5 million from a pharmaceutical company. You can look them up. They're called Telix. So the last few decades, doctors have been educated in pharmacy-funded universities with industry-funded science. Okay, number nine, what actually are the side effects listed on the PI? So I was talking about the PI just a moment ago, the prescribed information. Now, like I said, this is like the leaflet that is inside the box that you never get to see. This information, now there's a difference here. I did go on government websites and you can click on the different vaccines and you can click on their product information. And it's got like a bit of a watered down version. But what you have to do is you have to instead look up the actually put in the words prescribed information for a particular vaccine and go, look, and I'm even talking, of course, you're going to be taken to the website of the manufacturer. So I did this today for the rotavirus. I was like, hang on a second, let me actually have a look. And that one's made by Merck. Um, And so I went to the website and had a look. There was so much more information on there. And obviously, I don't even fully trust because it's the manufacturer that they're putting the full, full evidence and truth on there. But even what I read there about the rotavirus, I was shocked at the at uh, a lot of the stuff that are that is included as being the effects and who shouldn't take it and who should you know who would be at risk of taking it and what can potentially happen. And I was like, what? You never see this when you just rock up into a surgery and say, yeah, I'll have that vaccine thing. So. Make sure that you do that homework yourself. Go to the individual um, vaccine and then look at the PI, okay, the the prescribed information. So, yeah, you're going to need to do a lot of homework on that one. And obviously, I haven't got time here to go through that. But I did have a look at, like I said, the rotavirus. I also looked at the, I think it might have been the Hep B one as well, but it's a lot more information. And number 10, Number 10 is this, the government don't have to prove the safety of these drugs because the pharmaceutical companies have received indemnity, which I'm sure you all know, for any vaccine product from the US Congress in 1986. In other words, they can never, ever, ever be blamed uh, for adverse reactions for vaccinations. And the reason they had to get these indemnities in the 80s is because they were paying millions of dollars in compensations for deaths and injuries due to vaccination. But they can no longer be blamed. So all of the stuff that we have all been through in the last year or so, all of those manufacturers um, are protected. But I wanted to, um, I just wanted to mention a couple of the, big lawsuits that these pharmaceutical companies have been through. But just that evidence alone, the fact that they need protection from ever being sued, right? That does not support the claim that vaccines are safe, right? Like that's just so hypocritical right there. If they were so safe, why would they need indemnity? 
Why would they need full-blown protection from us, the little person? Why would we trust companies who are making the vaccines that we put in our babies and our children when they've actually been proven to be untrustworthy and not even go so far as to say committing crimes against humanity? The biggest ever lawsuit against a pharmaceutical company, let me tell you the top three The first biggest one, and they just got sued in 2022, well, it's been going for a long time, but the case went through in 2022, was Johnson & Johnson over the opioid crisis. Great movie to watch. Um, And I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Let me think about it and I'll get back to you. But it was a really, really good movie about the, um, oh, let me think. Okay, it's come to me, Dope Sick. Guys, you've got to watch the movie Dope Sick. It's all about this uh, opioid crisis. But in 2022, Johnson & Johnson, who are the makers of vaccines, by the way, $26 billion lawsuit. The second biggest, GlaxoSmithKline in 2012, also makers of many of our Australian vaccines, $3 billion lawsuit. Here in Australia, they have a um, actual, if you look them up, GSK, they actually have a branch here in Australia. They make our meningococcal, our DDP, our HPV, hep B, measles, mumps, rubella, and flu vaccines. And the third biggest lawsuit ever is in 2009, and that was Pfizer for $2.3 billion. So there you go. All right, so let me quickly go over those 10 thoughts again. So number one, the genetic variability is not considered in the risk assessment. It's just a one size fits all, no matter who you are or where you come from. Number two, the natural infection in childhood can actually provide greater protection than a vaccine. Number three, we are putting a huge burden on our children's immune system, which is just developing, that we're not expecting of our adult immune system. Number four, we all know that medications have side effects, so why are vaccines magically presented as the exception? Number five, evidence strongly suggests that chronic... um, the chronic underreporting of vaccine-induced morbidity, disability, and mortality. Number six, uh, we looked at what are the adjuvants in the vaccines, what do we know about them, and why is that being minimized? Number seven, what then are the long-term clinical trials that have been done to back all the safety claims to make us feel a bit better? Number eight, Uh, doctors are being educated in industry-funded universities. Number nine, what exactly are the side effects that are listed on the PI, which is the leaflet inside the box, which we're not told about? And number 10, the government actually don't have to prove safety because the pharmaceutical companies have got complete protection from us, the little people. So those are the 10 thoughts around safety. And I wanted to finish off with what are four things that you could ask your doctor? Um, Because guys, I, I really do understand the pressure. It's really, really difficult to, to hear all of this. It's difficult to hear something that goes against stuff that we've been, you know, just taught 
is the, is the truth. And so that's why I want you to do your own research. It's like, don't take my word for it. Don't believe me. Make sure you go look it up um, for yourself. But just to help you out, here are some things that you could ask your doctor if your child um, is due and you're not sure. You might be, you know, have done your own research and be totally happy with it. In that case, like, honestly, it's up to each one of us, right, to do our own uh, digging and to feel happy with our own decision. What One thing I do ask is don't just say, no, nah, make him the decision, I'm going to do it, and then not research it and just be sure of the facts yourself. But four things you could ask. Firstly, I would ask, well, what what are the actual risks if my child were to get the infectious disease? So if I'm bringing my kid for the chickenpox or the DDP or whatever, I'd be like, what are the actual risks? And like, ask for data. Don't just ask for the off the top of their head or, or a quick Google. Ask for the actual data. Like, okay, what are my chances of my child being hospitalized or dying from that disease? Number two, ask them what adjuvants are in this vaccine and what are any of the known short and long-term effects of those adjuvants. Make your doctors do their homework, guys. Number three, can you please show me a copy of the leaflet inside the box? I want to see it with my own eyes. And number four, I would ask who has conducted the trials that are convincing you that this is really safe for my child? Can you just show me those clinical trials, please? And who is funding them and who has designed them? So that's four questions that could really help you. Also, just a quick reminder before we go that if you would like to become a supporter of Girl Next Door, you can do so through the Buy Me A Coffee website. I'm not drinking a coffee right now, by the way. It's like 10 o'clock at night. No, it's 8.30. It feels like 10 o'clock. But I want to thank so much uh, new, brand new one-off supporters this week at K. And A1, thank you so much. And thank you to members Brooke, Victoria, Chloe, an anonymous member, Kylie, Sophie, Louise, and two brand new members this week, Marie and Pam. Guys, I really appreciate you. I'm spending so much time outside of uh, all my work hours. And like I said, I've got a goal to try and get 50 members so that I can podcast a day a week, which is what I'd love to be able to do. Guys, I love you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. I might have one one more. Maybe um, I want to probably look at maybe the media with all of this. And I don't know. I'll see how I go. I'll see how I go. Um, come along, chat with me, girlnextdoor.podcast. Thanks for all your messages. Have a wonderful week. Praying wisdom over all of us. Amen. Bye.